You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday with Wayne McCurry, who's a portfolio manager at FMB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. Wayne, last Wednesday you had a South African budget function commitment, yes. so we couldn't speak. So it's been two weeks since we've spoken, and goodness me, what a two weeks it's been. Certainly has been, yeah. So your assessment, first of all, and we'll come to the budget in a moment, but of course the big one yes. was... I think 10, 11 days ago, I think it was on the Friday that the market started to get a little bit jittery about the virus. And then Monday, yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it got even more jittery. Is it overblown? Yes. I think it is. I would think so as well. But that, of course, won't stop the market from falling again because you're dealing not with an unknown, but you're dealing with an unpredictable thing. I mean, if if put it this way, if tomorrow a cure is found. Yes. Then the market will rebound 5, 6, 7, 8, 10%. Right. If tomorrow the infection rate in South Korea, China, Italy, wherever goes up, it can fall 3, 4, 5%. Yes. You know, so you just, you just don't know what tomorrow brings. However, if you take a step back, will this permanently affect the world's economy for the next three years. And I, I, I doubt it. Yeah, exactly. Three I years. I honestly doubt it. Yeah, but six months, I think. And six months is a long time six months, in the markets. Yeah. But if you think that no, it's, no, no. It's, it's an odd important way, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I have to get this out before I forget about it. I was watching BBC World News at lunchtime, and they went to South Africa. They went to the west coast of South Africa, and they went to a lobster fishing village where there were chaps who are legally harvesting lobsters, and it's their business. And then they sell the lobsters yeah. to a bigger company, and 90% of their catch, and 90% of the west coast lobster catch doesn't go to South Africa or to Europe. No, it goes to China. And they said yes. the demand has completely stopped. I mean, not just reduced, but stopped. So yeah, I say stopped. to myself, this is one of the unknown repercussions of this coronavirus. And we don't understand. That's a tiny, tiny example. The lobster fishing industry on the West Coast. Imagine if you replicate that worldwide, what the effect yeah. of this coronavirus is. It's staggering. Yeah. But look, China cannot just shut down the industrial production and the economy forever. I mean, it, it just won't happen. You know, so you've got a transitory effect here, yeah, three months, maybe six months. If there's a cure announced tomorrow, and I, I, I can only, you know, say that there's tens of thousands of people scurrying away furiously with test tubes and microscopes and everything to find a cure. And we found a cure for every other virus we've ever had. You know, so, so maybe this one's different. I, I doubt it. Mm. So if there's a cure tomorrow, then you're back to normal. Then they'll be exporting lobster like crazy from the West Coast because there's pent-up demand and all the stocks in China have been depleted. Yes. You know, so that's, so that's, that's what you're dealing with Yeah. Now, the sheer number of deaths, even though obviously it is a tragedy, it's incredibly small in the bigger scheme of things. So it's really only, which is, of course, the only thing that stock markets will worry about, is the financial effects of trying to contain the virus, the effect on trade, the effect on, on everything, on goods sold, on people moving all over the place, on goods moving all over the place. So that will eventually come to an end. And to be honest, I, I, I really think 
sooner than what people anticipate. You know, so uh, I just can't see this continuing even for six months, to be honest. It might continue for three months and stuff like that because the infection rate in China is already down. Yes. You know, the new infection rate's already falling. So obviously what they're doing is having some sort of positive effect. But unfortunately, you know, with rising inflation or rising interest rates or some sort of economic calamity, you've, you've probably got some past experience to evaluate it against. But something like this, okay, we had the SARS virus whenever that was, 15, 18 odd years ago, I can't quite remember. 2003, yeah. Yeah. So that is an example we can use to actually go back and look at things. And there, you know, it was terrible at the time, but, you know, soon, a year later, you could virtually not even remember it. You know, so this will also pass. And, you know, I still think you've got to go back to economic variables when you look at the stock market. The U.S. share market was expensive. So maybe this was just a trigger for a little bit of profit taking right. because the market was in overvalued territory. I mean, it wasn't dramatically overvalued, but it clearly was in overvalued territory. So there's, you know, this is a reason, a trigger as to why it's falling. Um, commodity prices, oil price, you know, they're all falling on the back of demand falling, obviously. But uh, demand has to pick up at some stage. I mean, you cannot shut the economy down indefinitely because there'll be more suffering than what the virus is actually calling if you shut the economy down. Because yeah. they won't be able to transport food. You won't be able to transport goods. You'll have literally a, a, a proper catastrophe if you just keep the economy shut down forever because, you know, people will literally run out of food. You know, if, if, you, if you cut your factories down, you don't allow trucks to go across the border, I mean, you'll have a famine. So you know that, that whatever restrictions, whatever heavy restrictions they've got will have to be eased at some stage to allow the transport of goods and services. So, yeah, but it, it is very difficult when you're going through something like this because, you know, as I said a few times now, it's hard to predict. Yes, I mean, you must be actually quite pleased because the market has fallen more than 10%. At some stage, it's recovered, so it's below correction territory at the moment. But you've yeah. always said you've got a bit of money waiting in the wings. You must have been having a look you and saying, some, yeah. oh, I, really, I really like that one. I haven't seen it at this price for quite a while now. Have you been, well, mop time, yeah. have you been mopping up some stock? We have actually been buying. We've been buying. Um, we've, we've bought a little bit of shares overseas, but the majority of buying we're doing now in what we hope, what we think is the truly cheap sector, and that's South African banks and South African retailers. Yes. Because you, even though NetBank results came out and the earnings were down and the share went down, I mean, these, the valuation of the banking shares in particular are not that far off, you know, 2008 levels where the world's economy literally was in a complete and utter tailspin on the back of excess debt and a bankrupt, insolvent banking sector. So whatever you equate the virus to now, from an economic viewpoint, it is not nearly as severe as the global financial crisis. Of course, it could get there. I mean, it's not impossible. I mean, literally, you know, I did a study on all of the big infections that 
humanity has suffered over the centuries. Yes. And you know, the Black Death killed 50% of the population. Uh, the Spanish flu in the, was it in the 30s? No, the it wasn't. It was earlier than that. It was, um, I think it was the, the 20s. It was just after the First World War. Just just after the First World War. Yes. I mean, that killed more people in the First World War. That killed 20, 25 million people. Mm. You know, SARS killed 1,000 people. AIDS killed 20 to 30 million. You know, so you hope that we don't get anything like those death levels. And it, and it doesn't appear to be the case because as far as I can work out, and of course there's disinformation and different information on this, is that the, the, that the sort of casualty rate is 2%, you know, 2.5% of the people that are infected. Uh, Flu is about quarter of a percent or half a percent or something like that. Um, so, yes, we'll have to see how it pans out. Yes, we will. Um, I've just been to a pharmacy and I took a photo of this, and it's a, a Dutch pharmacy, and it says, um, let's have a look here. Well, it's in Dutch and English. Anyway, it basically says mouth mask sold out and a big cross over the mouth mask. So everyone yeah. is panicking. And that's the whole point about it, Wayne. It's, it's not whether it's 3,000 people or 3 million people. It's the, res- it, it, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's the response of market participants that is interesting. And I think you hit the nail on the head earlier on when you said maybe the market needed an excuse. Yes, it, and I've been saying that for a few days now. It does. It did need an excuse. And maybe yeah. when it sees the excuse and gets the market down, people like you come in and buy and hopefully the market will recover not straight away not, not in a v-shaped recovery but re- recover in a responsible way and allow people yes. that aren't in the market to get into the market that is that is my hope anyway yeah we, we, we're going to find out because one day the world's coming to an end and the market's down five percent the next day everything's okay the market's up five percent so it's extremely volatile what do you think of the fed i was shocked by their knee-jerk reaction in cutting interest rates in the United States last night. There's not a liquidity problem. There's not a problem with the no, U.S. economy. No so problem. what on earth were they thinking of? Because it put the markets into well, in, into into a flux. Yeah, it's, well, they're thinking of the share market. Yes. Yeah. Do, do you agree with and what they did? we to see more cuts. I don't know. I, I actually don't know. Maybe they've got more insight into it than what I have, being the Fed. I actually don't know. I don't know if it's a good thing or a, or a bad thing that they cut rates. But over time, share markets like lower interest rates and low interest rates. Well, you can see what the long bonds done. I mean, it is at unprecedented low interest rate. They've, it's never been this low, hmm. ever. You yeah. know, so that does lead, give a lot of support to the share market, unquestionably. Okay, well, I, I had your mate David Shapiro on with me last night, and the announcement came out while we were speaking. He fell off his chair. He was horrified yeah. by, by what went on. I know you two uh, lock horns occasionally on <laughs> on your opinions about certain things, but he and I and the other commentator all agreed that this was exactly the wrong thing to do. The market spiked up, and we all said, sell it right now. And exactly, uh, we were exactly right, although the market is bouncing back today. But it does seem to me a little bit of a, not a blunt instrument, a little bit predictable what they did. Probably, yes. And I think there's more coming. I think interest rates globally, with that massive fall off in the long bond rate, yes. I think interest rates will be cut right across the board. Because you're cutting it into a vacuum. There's no danger whatsoever under these circumstances of inflation 
spiking. There's, there's just no chance. In fact, there's significantly more chance of deflation. And I think nice. a lot of economies, the big fall off in commodity prices, the big fall off in the oil price, the absolute demand destruction, you actually got deflationary problems here. And I, I think our, our, our reserve bank will follow suit quite, quite quickly. I think we're going to see quite big interest rate cuts because, you know, other than administered prices, you know, rates, taxes, lights, water, um, in South Africa, there is no underlying inflation. And, you know, maybe we've got to get past the downgrade to junk status first, but I think our Reserve Bank's going to quite aggressively cut interest rates under this sort of scenario. When we've gone into recession, and this is the second recession in relatively quick time, so we're almost becoming the Italy yeah. of Africa, the recession obviously lends itself to an interest rate cut uh, as well. Uh, what did you make of the yes. budget last week? Well, the budget is, at the end of the day, a one-trick pony. So, mm. And that one-trick pony is you've got to control government wages. Right. So it will be the success of that, cutting that 150-odd billion off the salary bill over the next two or three years that will determine whether the budget is successful or not. Personally, I would have raised taxes a little bit. In other words, you just take personal tax. We got full bracket relief and we got a little bit more. You know, I would maybe have given three quarters of the bracket relief for inflation because we do need money. So, so every single thing is hinging on the salary bill being reduced. Now, my own personal opinion, and I've got no insights obviously whatsoever, but my own personal opinions, opinion, the state president and the finance minister would not have made this announcement and would not have hung their hat on this one single thing to save the, 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 the fiscal position of the government if some sort of deal has not already been struck. Forget what Kusatu is saying in the public arena. They yes. cannot say anything else. They can't go out and say we're very happy to have our wages uh, well, it's not, they're not actually cutting salaries, although there will be some very significant symbolic cuts in salaries, but they're just limiting the increase because for the last five years, government employees have got 2 to 3% above inflation. So all they want to do is, is to give them an inflationary increase or maybe slightly less than inflation. So no one's wages or salaries have been cut except the very top guys. As I said, there'll be some very symbolic cuts in salaries and wages for the top dogs. Mm. But, uh, and of course, Kusatu is never going to sit, stand up in the public arena and say, this is wonderful, we agree with it, we think it's good for the country. But if you haven't got some sort of tentative deal already struck and you can't do it, you have no credibility and our government finances then are just shot. Okay, so, so I think a deal has been struck. Okay, That's so, my personal opinion, although lots of people will disagree with me based on what Kusatu is saying in the public arena. I don't think that Sir Ramaphosa and Tito Mbueni, given their backgrounds as union and Labour people, would be so disrespectful as to spring this on the unions immediately. It's almost like Donald Trump and Jared Kushner and Benjamin Netanyahu standing up and saying, we've got a deal for a, 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 peace, a peace plan, and yet the Palestinians say, wait a second, you haven't even spoken to us. That was disrespectful. Us, yeah. yeah, but I, I agree with you. I do think that those gentlemen 
gentlemen have been uh, talking behind the scenes yeah. and have announced it and uh, of course Kasatu have to say well we we you know we're we're for our members and we are going to fight for their rights etc but yes yeah. i think uh, i think that's a very uh, perceptive insight uh, Wayne what are we going to do with the markets now are you just going to wait for this to pan out over the next 2 or 3 months i think we wait for this we wait for this corona virus thing to pan out and then we get back to basics in south africa mm. which is what does the wage deal does the wage deal come through Mm. Yes or no? When we go junk status, what's it going to do to us or is it already in the price? Yes. When's the government going to sell the spectrum and get some money in? What are they going to do to relieve Eskom of all of its debt so at least then it's on a viable financial footing? Even though we know it's going to take time to fix all the things that are broken and all of the things that aren't working properly. So then we just sit back and get back to basics in South Africa. Now, the government is to blame for the financial predicament that the country is in now. Yes. There is no question about that. You, because the global environment has actually been quite benign, quite positive over the last, well, since 2015. Prior to 2015, the global environment was terrible for countries like South Africa because commodity prices were plummeting. But they stabilized in December 2015. And since then, you've actually had a very positive environment to support economic growth. And unfortunately, because of the government, and we all know why, we all know these things, they have, number one, not been able to supply electricity. And number two, they have been responsible for the complete lack of confidence in the country and a myriad other mistakes and faults that they've got. However, having said all of that, the new administration, the only thing you can criticize the new administration on is the pace of reform. It sometimes feels as though we're going forward at a snail's pace, but at least we're going in the right direction. Yes. They've been slow with policy reform. They've been slow with a myriad, myriad, myriad of things. But at least under the previous ANC regime, we were going backwards rapidly. At least we are going forward now, even if it is at an incredibly slow pace. Now, I read the State of the Nation's address from cover to cover doing one thing, and that was picking out how many times the state president mentioned something like consensus building or in conjunction with our partners in a social compact. In other words, building consensus. Because that seems to be how he operates. He's not a person, it appears, he's not a person who does who makes a bold move without getting buy-in or trying to get buy-in and discussing everything far and wide with many, many, many people. I mean, you, I don't know how many he's got, but he's got more than a handful of advisory councils and advisory bodies that are either he established or already in existence to get this social cohesion, social compact going. Now, all of this is a good thing, but it takes time. So in other words, it, it appears as though the state president would rather do things gradually trying to build up these social partnerships that everyone buys into everything rather than taking almost a big bang approach, a bold approach, because then you, people don't agree and you 
you know, you don't build consensus around it. Hmm. And that's all very good and very well, but it does almost by definition imply that things go slowly. You mentioned the social compact, social cohesion thing. Man, my memory might be slipping me, but I think 26 times. I did. Okay. You know, it's like Donald Trump. You have to keep on reinforcing these things because eventually people start to believe you. At least our state president is very different to Donald Trump in one respect. Thank goodness. I saw a thing last night that Donald Trump has, in his, since he's been president, either misquoted facts or lied or made misleading statements 16,000 times. Yeah, least. it's astonishing. Uh, it's astonishing. It is astonishing. Anyway, I don't want to get onto politics because I've got yes, in trouble yeah. about being vociferous about Donald Trump before, but it is an astonishing statistic. 16,000 untruths, yeah, and mistruths that. and That's lies. The Washington, it's the Washington Post. Yes. Whether it's right or wrong or whether it's only 8,000 times, I don't know, or whether it's just, what does he, what does he term the media, the fake news, the false media, fake news, you don't know, but that's the statistics from the Washington Post. Nothing fake about your analysis, Wayne. Thank you very much for your time, as always, on a Wednesday. That's Wayne McCurry from FNB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.